stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Now, today I want to talk about inner strength. You know, I hear so many people saying, oh, you know, if, if I had this, if I could do that, you know, and particularly about confidence, you know, if I was more confident or when I've got the confidence, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, we've already got it within us. It usually, though, takes some external thing to happen, you know, just to trigger us to realize that, man, I I have got everything within me that I need and I am stronger than I think. Today's guest, wow, that you this is going to blow your mind. My heart was in my throat the whole time, but and I'm not going to read out the whole bio anymore. I've decided I'm just going to go cut to the chase a little bit. So I just want to tell you about her. She is amazing. Lisbeth Meredith is an award-winning author, speaker, online teacher, and loves coaching and consulting part-time. Now, she's been working for three decades with um, crime victims and offenders. She started off her life as a um, in a very, very uh, dysfunctional family. She found herself uh, doing the same thing as a parent, um, marrying into that kind of domestic violence, ended up in a domestic violence shelter with two daughters. Um, she did end up getting a degree, but four years later, uh, the kid's father uh, kidnapped the kids and took them to Greece and then... That started a two-year journey for Lisbeth to get her kids back. And by this time, they were non-English speaking kids because they hadn't had a chance to really develop uh, English language. She's written a book called Pieces of Me, Rescuing My Kidnapped Daughters, and it's now being turned into a movie that should be coming out in March Oh, this is going to have you on the edge of your seat, but by gee, there's so many great messages in here and it is so empowering. And I, I tell you what, it, it's proof that we've got within us what we think we don't have. So trust me, we've all got it in there. Anyway, let's welcome her. Welcome, Elizabeth. Karen, it is so fabulous to be with you. Thank you for having me today on Get Off the Bench. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. You know, I could tell when I first saw your face that you had a heart of gold. I read your story and thought, oh, my God, this woman's not only got a heart of God, she's got a heart of a lion. So oh. much, so much courage you. in you. And, you know, you, you're getting off the bench in so many ways, but there's such a backstory, you know, that... that um, get you getting off the bench that many, many, many people, uh, I think any mother would do, but most people would be absolutely bloody terrified, as you probably were. And we we're going to talk about that soon. But, you know, 
You went, I'm almost speechless, you know, like it keeps catching my breath every time I think about it because it scares the shit out of me what you did. But, (laughs) you know. Thank you. Oh, my God. And so, you know, we heard in the intro, you went on a mission to rescue your kidnapped daughters and that sort of catapulted you into the limelight before you were just sort of having your your life, you know, your quiet little life, and it was fantastic. But suddenly you're in the limelight, you're visiting the White House, you know, you, you're sort of really there for everyone to everyone to support but also for everyone to judge. Do, you know, there's also going to be all that kind of um, publicity. But, you know, I guess that wasn't in your plan. I'm sure nobody chooses to have two kids kidnapped and, and it's not no child should ever go through that. But before we get to that, tell us about your childhood because that in itself is um, quite a story. Right. God. I, I, when I was a little girl, I grew up in Alaska, in Anchorage, Alaska. And, in fact, I lived there until recently. So, like, for more than five decades, I lived in Alaska. But when I was even very small, I remember thinking, this is not my home. And I looked at the house full of blonde headed girls, beautiful little, beautiful sisters that I had blonde and I had really dark hair. And I thought this can't be my life. And later it was a long time before I realized it really wasn't fully my life. Um, I grew up in a home where there was a lot of chaos and there were siblings that just seemed to disappear. There was, you know, marriage, remarriage, volatility in the home, violence in the home, abuse of children. And eventually my mother confided that I could look my father, my real father was not the person that I'd been calling daddy, um, but my real father might be looking for me. And so maybe I should look him up one day. And of course I was an older child then. And I remember thinking, I will never raise my kids in chaos. I will never ever have a divorce, have parental separation, no child of mine, excuse me, will be looking a parent up through an attorney. You know, I will be doing everything differently. My parents uh, did not have any uh, opportunity for education. And so I remember thinking whatever they've done to get us in this kind of a household and this kind of a chaotic setting, I'm going to reverse engineer it and do differently so that my kids will have everything I did not. I'm going to be just fabulous. And, you know, I meant well. And unfortunately, I didn't understand that if we don't get off the bench and figure out what we need to be doing in life to get where we want to be, good intentions don't always cut it. And so I was a child with great intentions who always felt that I would have children of my own. That was like, that spoke to me. I knew I wanted to be a mom, even if I wasn't sure about many other things, but I was judgmental and I definitely judged the people in my home and thought, you know, I will do different and be different. And then turned right around and replicated a lot of the chaos that I had gone through as a child and created, quite frankly, without meaning to incredible suffering, not just for my own children that I eventually had, but, and for myself, but even for people who later would, would reach forward to intervene with us. Oh, wow. Isn't it funny though? It's it's not funny, but this happens quite often. Do you know that, um, 
it, it really does take, and you said get, get off the bench, but it really does take um, some quite dramatic decision-making and then, you know, stepping into it to, to change cycles, you know, to, to break those patterns and, wow, Jesus. And, 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 and it really, I, I constantly ask that, you know, is it nature, is it nurture? You know, people say, I'll never do this, and then they end up repeating it and they don't notice that they've taken the same steps and it's, it's 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 a fascinating topic. I don't think we've got neither of us have got the answer for that, but it's a, yeah, it's right. a fascinating fascinating topic. Anyway, the point is you, you're not doing it now. Like there was you, you know a whole series of events has kind of really really supercharged you into into the life that you really wanted to have in the first place. But maybe it takes us fifty years to get the life that we we really, right. really want. But oh my god, you know. So and and I was I was questioning in my mind you know when when I before I started interviewing you like um when I first came across your profile and and started chatting with you offline it's like you know I I wondered how much of your own childhood you know uh, the torment actually uh you know followed through into your your decision so you um you've answered that for me I I can see that that's Sometimes there's just no getting out of it. And we, we, we would like to say to some people sometimes just because, and this is judgmental, just because you were in that situation, can't you see how bad it was and don't you want to change it? But I think right. when things are so damn ingrained in our belief system and in all in our unconscious mind and everything, we just can't. We can't change it. And not only that, we don't have the tools to change it, you know, unless right. – somebody gives us the tools, you know, but I wish I would have, you know, in hindsight, thought more about waiting to make big decisions like getting married or getting into an intimate relationship and really autopsied what had happened in my childhood and figured out like, wow, if somebody I meet feels sort of like home to me, that's not a good thing. You know, there are people who say, well, I met my spouse and it felt like I was going home. Well, that's terrific. If your home was nice, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) if it was kind and safe and delightful, but if it had a lot of elements of control and abuse, and if everything went swimmingly, when you found yourself walking on eggshells to make all of the choices that kept interruption from happening, that's not the kind of feeling like home that you want to have. Mm. And so I just really didn't, I I did not do any of that work that would have helped me see that. And I also didn't have a lot of confidence, which shouldn't be too surprising, but I didn't have a lot of confidence in my youth to think, Hey, and I can be on my own. If I needed to be, I can figure out a way to find a career and find meaningful work and support myself. I don't even have to be with someone to quote unquote, complete me. I am just fine on my own. And, uh, you know, then I can meet someone based on my strengths and quirks and whatever, as opposed to that need and that feeling of, can someone please come along now? I need someone to rescue me. You know, and I think that's what I did. I, I needed a rescue. And I think too that um, when you when you're looking at yourself, you know, you're saying you didn't do that work, but that work's painful. And when you've been through so much pain, you know, as a as a kid, you don't you 
you're looking for a magic wand. You're looking for well, what feels nice? You know, what's what's a temporary? What's a quick fix that feels good? You're not you're not sort of looking to dig, dig, dig and make yourself uh, you put yourself through more pain. You're just really not. And when when you say that about feeling whole, you know, like this is me. I don't need anyone to complete me. I really don't think we get that until we're older. You know, even into our forties, fifties. I really don't think we. Some do, but very, very few. You know, I think we have to. I think we have to live through what we don't want and won't accept until we really figure out that what what the true opposite is. You know, and, and that it is possible. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I also think we have a tradition of reading stories to children that make them believe. So as we're being raised we're hearing great fairy tales that almost always end up with there needing to be two people in a relationship for that wonderful happy ending it doesn't come typically in a fairy tale when someone's on their own (laughs) you know what kind of a strange story would that be where somebody was like hey I'm fine you know (laughs) I got this you've given me a good idea for children's books (laughs) yeah that's right that's right there is one I loved uh, when I was much older that I read to my kids called The Paper Bag Princess. Yeah. But for the most part, we don't see a lot of those stories. And so and without even thinking about it, we, we tell the kids stories that we grew up with. And, you know, it's a wonderful tradition. We want them to know the same stories. But those stories are all about getting completed by, by the existence of finding that just the right person. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't have to tell me twice. I knew that that was on my agenda. It's you reach a point in life where it's like the music stops, there's musical chairs, someone stops the music and you look around and think, well, I have graduated high school. Hopefully I have maybe gotten an education, got a job. What's next. That's this on the list. And, you know, nothing wrong with that, but you just want to be aware of it when making choices. And I definitely was not. Yeah, I agree. I think there's nothing wrong with it on the, on, as long as it's healthy. And, uh, you know, right. the, the two people coming together are bringing, uh, you know, bringing something to each other rather than taking something from each other. And uh, more often than not, we see people taking from each other, you know, and I just think that if you're with someone, you've just got to give them, you just got to give them stuff to empower them and give them wings and let them fly. And, you know, if they fly off, that's okay too. Do you, you know? Right. Chances exactly. are they won't. Chances <laughs> are they won't if you're treating them properly. But That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly, Karen. Oh, my God. Exactly right. So, so you've gone through, you know, repeating the process and, oh, my God, and it's no point kicking yourself. It's no point regrets, no point slamming yourself and saying, damn, I did it wrong. You know, it is the journey and it's the way it is and all that kind of stuff. But by doing that, you found yourself in a, um, a domestic violence shelter in 1990 so you're only in your I think mid to late 20s or late 20s when that happened and mid 20s when I was in the shelter so I married someone who I really frankly didn't know as well as I could have and um, really thought I was going to forgive and forget and just make my bed I I did not want my kids to be exposed to a divorce but I will say that there is something when, when someone is strangling you about the neck and your child is watching, there's a little light bulb that went off for me that day. I'm like, this is untenable. This is not something that I can forgive and forget and make my bed and lie in it. I am 
teaching a pattern to my children. And it's strange when I look back on that, because I literally took responsibility for every bad thing. He didn't, but I felt responsible that I was being strangled in front of my oldest daughter. And uh, I knew then that if I could survive that, I was out. And, you know, as much as I knew back then, I believed, and I think there are a lot of people who still believe this, that the key to ending domestic abuse was for the victim to leave. That was the solution to everything. And so that's what I did. And I decided better yet, I'm going to be that likable victim that does not go back and forth and back and forth. And I've made it when I make that decision, there is no turning back. I will bring my children to safety, create a different future for them that they deserve. And this is the end of this abuse. And the day that I was strangled in front of my daughter, that was March 5th of 1990, I also thought this is the end of abuse. This isn't just the end of him abusing me. This is the end. This is that door that I will walk through. And I will not tolerate whether it's a family member, uh, a boss, even uh, a partner, I will not tolerate being bullied or abused anymore. We all have conflicts and we all have days where we behave in ways that maybe we should not, but that's far different than being abused. Mm. And so I knew that was a pivotal moment. And I was in my mid twenties and just thought, isn't this so great? Because I'm still young. My children were baby. The baby was going to be one in a couple of months. The oldest was two they're so young, they'll never remember it. And that's how we literally looked at how children are impacted by abuse in the home back in the day. It was like, people would say, you're so lucky your kids were little, they'll never remember it. And you're young enough to remarry, have more kids if you want, you know, whatever. Isn't this great? And so I literally like thought that, took them to play therapy. So that was good. I mean, we stayed in a shelter the advantage of getting help from formal support and not just from a family member. I want to bring this up for, for listeners sometimes can be great because some of us who are leaving abuse have also grown up in homes where there were controlling family members. And when you go to a more, if there are places that offer services like a shelter or community counseling or whatever, you're not relying on people who have tried to control you in the past to do it in the future and all of their expectations that come with it. So when I went to stay in the shelter, what I didn't realize was that would fast track me. And this happens in a lot of places. It would fast track me to other services that we needed. So like community counseling, we jumped to the top of the wait list, low income housing. We got more quickly to the top of the wait list. That wasn't why I stayed in the shelter, of course, but that helped. And so it started the beginnings of a life. And I remember going and applying for what was so incredibly embarrassing at the time. And that was to get um, uh, enrolled in public assistance, get food stamps, uh, we call it in the States. So I, I applied for what we would call allowances or was on the dole, as some people would say, meaning the government for a short period of, well, for a period of time would support us. But that was like, the lowest of low in my mind thinking, oh, I am this person. And I remember standing in the line with my frankly, dirty little fussy children. And the person, the clerk who was helping me said, you know, 
have you ever thought about finishing your college degree? And I had a little bit of college behind me and I was horrified. I said, do you realize how old I would be by the time I got my degree? If I went to school now, I'd be 28. <laughs> and she said, well, sweetie, how old do you think you're going to be in a few years anyway? <laughs> you could be 28 with a degree. You could be 28 without a degree. That silly little thing, real, there were certain nuggets of wisdom that people shared with me during this horrible time, but that helped reframe everything for me. It was like, no kidding. What am I waiting for? I need to do this thing. And uh, so I went to call, I got a Pell Grant and went to college and got daycare assistance, lived in a scary low-income apartment and thought, this is it. We're, we're going to claim the future that we deserve. Not realizing that sometimes, not always, but often, the most abusive a controlling person can be is when you've toppled their sense of control. So the better I did, the more terrifying he became. So even though I applied for and eventually we were divorced, thank you, legal aid, um, but he still came around, broke into the house, slashed my tires. If he chose to see the children on his time that the courts allowed, he didn't always do it. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. But he would get scarier and scarier with the kids. Kids, your mommy's going to die. Your mommy is going to die and she's going to hell. Kids, your mom's going to meet someone else and she's not going to want you. And so these are the kinds of messages they would receive. And as the, as the parent who shared, you know, he had to have visits, it was allowable, which makes sense, but there was no way I could put an end to those visits because it was happening to them. Mm. He was allowed to do this to the children. They became, it's like I left him. He didn't have control of me. So he would hurt me through them. And it was so painful for their childhoods. And it's still, they're in their thirties now. It is something that there's really no quite getting over what it's like to have your childhood taken. So that went on, but eventually I finished college and got a great job for 10 bucks an hour at the shelter that I had found. And I loved it. I mean, I really did. Found a fabulous roommate that I love to this day. She was like a grandmotherly faith, uh, figure to my kids. And we shared a home that we rented and we both, she and I both worked at the same place. And, you know, ha we had the makings of a life. It was so fantastic to think the future is bright. He, my former husband would still come around, still do scary things, but I thought, you know, I can only control what I control. When it got super out of hand, I would get a protective order went or, or call the police, but otherwise just keep looking forward and not think about it. And I, I was pretty well trained on how to manage pain by then, you know, mm. but then one day, four years after I left him, not four weeks or four days or four months, like you would expect, but four long years after I left him, I went to pick the kids up from daycare and they weren't there. And not only were they not there, they were nowhere in country. And we didn't get that confirmation until later. You know, it takes a while to confirm where they were. Now, remembering that this was pre-internet for the average person, 
there were not cell phones, there weren't all of those things. So it took a while to track some of this stuff, but it was awful. So, so he just went to daycare and picked them up and took them to the airport, gone. He, what he did instead was he took, the, he had visit. And the very last day that I saw them was March. Um, the, I, I said goodbye to them on the 11th. They were supposed to be back and I could pick them up. What's it? The 13th. Maybe I said goodbye on the 13th. I, I go to pick them up at the daycare. We tried to have the daycare family was like, truly to this day, like family to us, mm. the kids daycare was so fabulous and they were so supportive, but we knew that if I had less contact with my former husband during the trade-offs handouts for the children, that it would be better. So mm. he was to drop the kids off at daycare. I was to swoop by and pick them up and take them home. But when I went to the daycare, they were not there and they hadn't been there. And yes, Yes, it was awful. So it was awful for a very long time. What, what, what's your immediate thought? What, like, did you just, I would have collapsed. I, I don't even know if I could even breathe. You know, it was hard to breathe and it felt very, and to this day, I mean, I think I'd had so many different awful things happen before even my kids were taken that I had a disconnect with my normal feelings. And so in some ways that has really served me well in the mm. thick of crisis. In other ways, that's exceptionally dysfunctional. And it's really hard to connect those things back with no matter how much therapy you go through, but it was back. It was as bad as it got. I am not a big crier normally, but it was pretty darn bad. And I couldn't sleep and I couldn't get the police initially. And they were, you know, some ended up being wonderful, but some not. My, um, I couldn't get the police officer to, to get as alarmed as I was. And I, looking back in hindsight, I think, well, why would, why would he think it was a big deal? It was a kid's dad. You know, if, if all you know on face value is one parent has the children longer than the other parent wishes, that's just an annoying custody battle is what mm -hmm. that is. Mm -hmm. And I look like the one with control problems. And so, you know, it took a while to get the officer to dig and to figure out what had happened. But the next day I went straight into work. I went straight into my job. I didn't stay at home and, you know, weep about it or stay in bed. I just stayed up and was very anxious, called a few people and then went straight on to work the next day. And there I started to cry a little bit. I worked with domestic abuse victims. I worked with some fabulous, amazing staff. I kind of wonder if I'd worked anywhere else, if I'd have my children today, but there are a lot of those moments, you know, mm. called my dear friend, Anne. She was married to a lawyer. Her brother was a lawyer. They both did different kinds of law, but I met Anne when I was on public assistance and she was like my rich friend. And she wakes her husband up and said, this thing happened. And he said, tell her we got this. We'll be there. And both her brother and her husband stayed till the bitter end. One flew to Greece twice on his own dime to help. I didn't pay him, a, neither of them, a dime. And both of them rolled up their sleeves and said, what can we do to rectify this? Wow. So in the midst of horrible things, and this is true for all of us, sometimes you have to train yourself to look for it, but there are always pretty incredible things 
that are happening in the midst of tragedy even, or funny things sometimes or whatever. But, but those were some of the beautiful things for us. We, you know, the executive director of the battered women's shelter that I worked with, that's what we called it then, um, domestic abuse uh, agency. She was married to someone that we just adored. And uh, between her, she and her husband, or her and her husband, uh, you know, lots of support there. And she gave me the advice, run this as a campaign. You may get sick of talking about your children, but keep it in the forefront of everyone's minds. Don't let anyone let go of this because you'll not get your kids home if you don't run it as a campaign. And that's how I started thinking of it. They weren't my kids. They were a campaign. One day there was going to be a fundraiser for this. We had a community fundraiser. Again, this was pre-internet, pre-GoFundMe, and thank God for that. But we had you know, a radio station playing public service announcement about my upcoming fundraiser. This was a $100,000 expense. I had $10 an hour. Mm. So this public service announcement was running about this tragic mother and her children. And I remember thinking at first, oh, that sounds so sad for her. Oh, no. And then realizing, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> but that, you know, that very same thing that helped me and helped me be not so annoying. I wasn't the person crying all the time. It wasn't the person always talking about it sometimes, but not always, but that same quality really can work against me later on in life when you want to have normal emotions like other people have. And I can't ever quite seem to connect them all together, just still very removed from parts of my life. But it helped, you know, it helped. And we had a lot of community. Alaska back then, not as much now, but back then was, we just supported one another. Alaska is a harsh environment. Mm. And people are often away from their extended families. And so you become one another's makeshift family. And, you know, we didn't have political lines to divide us. We wouldn't allow them. You know, people didn't worry, you know, of sexual orientation or color or this or that as much then pre-internet in Alaska, because it was rather your electricity went out, you're going to freeze to death. How can I help you? Your car is stuck. Let me push you out. We need each other. And we knew that we had a sense of needing each other that I think the internet and so many other things has come along and stolen from us. We forget that those differences don't really matter. Yep. Oh, I agree. Oh, wow. You, you've got my, my heart is in my, in my throat. You know, I hear you saying, you know, you know, you, you, about your feelings being disconnected, you know, and, but you, you've got to think though, that's such a bloody traumatic thing that, if you were, if your emotions were properly connected all the time, it, right. it'd kill you. Do you, you know, like you, you couldn't literally, you couldn't function, you couldn't stand up, you couldn't right. speak. You know, so there's this the, in 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 super traumatic situations, the the there's such an advantage to somehow separating your emotions from the you know, the situation that's going on. It's a shame now that, you know, it, it's still sort right. of, uh, it's still not bringing you back to that. But I can understand, I can understand it. And, and so did you, once you knew they were in Greece, did you, did you think I'm never going to see them again? This is like, I, so you went through this process. Tell us about the process and what you were thinking, because it's 
oh my God, I would kill me. It would kill me. It was hard because when you think about even in Australia, even in America, wherever we, wherever listeners are, think about your own government and how ineffective it is because there are so many different people working there and, and need always exceeds resources. That's just the case. I, I went on to work in government for many years, so I no longer personalize that. Need will always exceed the resources. So it's a nightmare when you think, oh, I've got to get my license renewed. You know, I've got to do something basic like that, you know, it kind of puts a damper on the day. So imagine dealing with different governments across the globe. So there was, there was and is an extradition treaty intended to help signatories, countries that signed on, resolve these sorts of custodial issues very quickly. Unfortunately, there's no governing body that really enforces it. It's just this nice sort of wink and a nod. Here's a polite exchange that we could do to help reduce child abduction issues. And so I went through the steps to make sure that I did things properly and legally. And so I went ahead and filed certain paperwork and then had it translated into Greek thank God for amazing friends from Greece who lived in Alaska, who were super helpful. And then we thought, okay, the Greek government now has my stuff, my paperwork. They're going to recognize and enforce my custody. They say so. Meanwhile, we'd hired uh, some lawyers in Greece with some of the fundraising money. And so just when we're getting ready to, as a year was passing, to go get my kids, I think, uh, the attorneys went on strike in Greece. Oh. And so it's that kind of stuff. And I say this now, you know, because people joked, I, if you ever, when you go to Greece, you'll notice that strikes are very, yep. very yep. common. <laughs> when we were in Greece, one of the times to try to find my kids, one of the lawyers saw uh, picketers outside of an orphanage. And he said, what are they picketing for? Parents? <laughs> Funny, but 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 you know they have a good sense of justice. But when I look at parents now, if your kids are missing, if my kids were missing today, there's a whole pandemic. They, you couldn't even travel across the globe to reunite with your loved ones. I can't even imagine. I thought what I was going through was a big deal. I can't imagine if it was happening today. Mm. So you know, I went the first time to Greece. Make a short story long go to Greece the first time because I've been assured that my attorneys know where my kids are, my Greek attorneys. And it turned out they didn't really, but they thought they literally thought they did. So the private investigator had tracked them to the wrong place. Eventually I stay long enough and I make some friends in Greece. I am a big believer, Karen, like you, that it is not in life privilege. It's not innate talent. It's not good luck necessarily that happens. But a lot of it happens for me. I always look at things like this as, you know, it takes strong communication, solid support and stubborn persistence. And I met some friends who would become just golden to me in Greece. And they were women, young women about my age. At that point, I was 20, 30 years old. They were 30 years old and lawyers. And they just offered their heart. These were not people I'd hired. These were unrelated 
to, uh, you know, the, the people I'd hired, they, I met them through them, but they were unrelated. They became the backbone of so much of the efforts as did later an American woman that I know who lives in Greece with her Greek husband. And she lives there very happily by choice, Mimi. Uh, so there became those connections that really helped. And I just, I think for anyone going through super hard stuff, we are not meant to go through it alone. You know, we are pack animals and whether a person chooses, like I said earlier, I, I, I love relationships and I love the idea of love. So if people find joy in that, fabulous. But if they don't, they're still meant to be a part of a community. Yep. And when you're going through things alone, to, to do it alone is not going to end successfully, typically. And so I made great community there. And I found amazing, long-lasting friendships. So I failed the first effort to get my kids back. Uh, there was a snafu in which the American consulate accidentally tipped off my former husband. Oh. Was it wasn't entirely their fault at all, but it did not help. I had to go home without my kids. Oh. So then I came back a year later. And so by then it had been two years and I came back hiring my own investigator and really ruffled some feathers there, but my Greek attorneys were kind enough to forgive me. I was very headstrong, also behind on my legal bills, all of that with them. I mean, and uh, stayed with one of the women. Well, the first year I, I got to stay with one of the women, I met one of the Greek attorneys. The second year was more on my own uh, because she couldn't be involved or she jeopardized her career. But bottom line, eventually I was reunited with my kids and then arrested in Greece. Oh, oh so oh. yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you know, here I am today talking to you. So ultimately we did in fact make it out of the country, uh, with my children. You know, I was reunited with my non-English speaking children who one of them could not believe I was alive because she'd been told I was not. And so when I saw her, it was as though she'd seen a ghost. It was terrifying for her. And they were in rough physical shape and emotionally not well. And I will tell you that we snuck out of the country like a thief in the night. Um, the Greek courts decided to reverse their earlier decision. So we snuck through Turkey and went to the United Kingdom and then came home. Thank you to my friend Heather and her husband for sending the tickets. And then we fought it out through federal courts. And what I learned was getting your kids out of a foreign country or any country. Yes. Is that difficult? Sure. Raising traumatized children. That is the heavy lifting. That was the heavy lifting. And all of those thoughts I'd had as a young person, I eventually got a master's degree in psychology, but we always believed back in the day that it was in fact, true that somebody could experience hardship in their youth and it would magically disappear, that time healed all wounds. If they forgot it, it wouldn't impact them. Let me just say, we know better now. And we look at things like, and I'm sure you've heard of this, but the adverse childhood experience study, that's something that in my work, I, I went on to become a trainer of in probation work. But it is important that people unpack their trauma. It is important that they don't say, well, I'm mentally strong. It doesn't affect me. It is important that we have places to go 
and tend to the wounds that hurt us because they calcify inside us. So anyway, it was a difficult, difficult childhood for them. It was, it was as though I know lifetime television is doing the movie on the, on the book that I wrote, but they call it something initially. I, I wasn't sure how I felt about the title, but I wish they would have called it stolen childhoods because that's what it really was, but it's called stolen by their father, which I, I am so excited about this movie, but what was really stolen was their entire childhood. You could not give that back to them. Even though people tried, we had such generous people in Alaska helping us and people who loved the girls so much and who we all tried to make it up to them. Mm. But when somebody's feelings of safety have been taken because one parent that they loved so much harmed the other parent that they loved so much or took them it's hard to have to have feelings of safety in adulthood. Of course it is. And they're, they're the very bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. You know, that's the that's our, our foundation, you know, is to to feel safe. And when someone's someone you trust smashes. That's right. You know, that's that's um, right. And I agree with you. We always hear, and I still hear it. You said we don't so much now, but I, I still do. People say, oh, kids are resilient, they're tough, they'll get over it. And I I crack the shits when I hear people saying that. I say, right. that's so wrong. That is so wrong. You know, you, that's right. not the truth at all. Ah, oh, they'll forget. You know, they don't bloody forget. And if they do right. forget, like if they've done what you've done and sort of disconnected some emotions and, you know, sort of blindsided it so that it doesn't hurt so much, the energy of that is still within their body. Do you know You know that? Right. Oh, absolutely. And you can't. Absolutely. You you can't freaking do that to kids. You can't do it to anybody, but you cannot let kids, you can't, you can't steal a kid's childhood. I, I, I bloody hate that. You know, that that's right. Yeah. And parents fighting over, over crap and stealing the kids. I think you're stealing a kid's life. You, you know, right. sometimes you can't help it. Like in your situation, it was one person, you know, pulling all the strings and, and I, and I can't stand how a lot of men do that with this domestic violence. I can't stand it. Like you say, they, they don't have control. They lose control. And then they up the ante, you know, right. some threaten to kill themselves. Some do bloody try, do you know, right. some, some do all these extreme things. It's kind of like by hook or by crook, I'm going to threaten you and intimidate you and control you. And and I think they are they are the weakest pissant cowards in the world, you know, to behave <laughs> like that. I do, right. and I and I also think what 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 sort of a what sort of a, a, a I'm just, just sort of a dickhead invests so much energy trying to be mean and nasty and spiteful. What sort of a person does it? It really doesn't say anything good about their character. Right. Right. Nothing. Nothing at all, you know, nothing. Anyway, moving on, because I can get into a big rabbit hole about that because I get so freaking angry about anybody who tries to control anybody else's life. I, I just think that that's, we're not on this planet to do that. But you talked about, you, you know, that this um, story, your your story becoming a, a film, which which is, is really exciting despite the title. You know, it, it's so exciting and it's exciting, well, it's exciting because it validates what you've been through. You know, it sort of right. it gives the kids something to say, wow, our journey may in fact 
save another kid, you know, and that's, I think that's the biggest thing that can come of it is that raising awareness for other people not to have to go through it. But it also raises a lot of um, empathy because when we see things like that, we can say, oh, like you did, oh, that poor mother, oh, my God, you know, how sad. And often what will happen, because today the internet and God knows what and everything else is so damn busy, we go, oh, my God, that breaks my heart. We scroll and then there's something else. It's kind of like, well, forgotten about that mother. Right. You know, because we just saw an, a news item or something. And, and I'm not saying, I'm saying that's completely wrong that we do that, but we've become so conditioned to do that. Right. There's something about when we see a movie or when we see a visual, you know, and when we engage in the emotion of it, we, we feel like we're taking that journey with that person. We start to, um, it starts to become a part of us that we can never forget, you know, and, and we remember it. Right. Little things trigger in us to think, oh, hang on a minute. I've felt that before. I've seen that before. So I think the, having it as a movie, as long as they don't skew it for Hollywood, you know, like they, they often do with stories. And, and, mm. and yeah, I think it's fantastic. And it also came from, which is coming out soon, but it came from the book you've written, Pieces of Me. And I haven't read it. I'm going to get it. And I know I'm going to bawl my eyes out the whole freaking time I'm reading it, you know, but how, when you wrote that book, like how healed were you to write that book or how... I don't know what frame of mind were you in when you said you know I've got to write this book you know and thank you for saying that I just it's funny because I always wanted to be a writer when I was young so I you know, I, I thought oh this would be a great story and at some point even when the kids were missing and especially when we saw there was some really corruption. There was a lot of corruption mm -hmm. and some bad things that happened in the process, but there was so much more extraordinary kindness. Mm -hmm. And so I remember thinking, no, this will be a story one day. I didn't realize it would take two decades to write it, <laughs> but I wasn't a good writer. I really wasn't. I was a journalism writer and that's much different than writing a memoir. And so it took me forever and taking classes and this and that, but I didn't know where the story would end. And then I became a teacher of trauma-informed care and the adverse childhood experiences study at my work. I worked with juvenile probationers for 20 years. And so I was at the training of trainers one day when we were getting all of this information on how preserved trauma can be inside the body and how it can literally develop mentally thwart a person. Well, my oldest daughter had been hit so hard by the trauma when she went to college. It seemed like we'd gone to enough play therapy and then later in life therapy. And then she had scholarships. She was a cheerleader. She was just this amazing young person. And then she went away to college and we had a forced separation. She went in another state. And that was the end of life as we knew it when she that was it. It brought her right back to that trauma as though it had just happened. And I was somebody who, you know, I grew up with the tough love generation. Oh, she's being manipulative. She's being dramatic. She's be, oh, I did not, you know, at, and I didn't want to believe her because if I believed that this was really happening, that meant I might never have 
a break from this trauma. You know, I was almost an empty nester in my early forties and now this, and I made it about myself. And, uh, sure enough, I was giving that training of trainers. She'd lived back at home with me for several years by then. And I don't know, there was something, it was a light bulb moment where I was like, this is it. This is where the story begins and ends. It is this takeaway because there is a universal benefit to the reader if they understand. And I going through it right now with my sister, my oldest sister on my mom's side of the family who's dying and my mother's still alive inexplicably. And, and then, you know, sadly she is, she, yes, it is a discussion we have. This is somebody who's been exceptionally cruel to her children. And here's my sister, not old enough, shouldn't be having this conversation, but she was somebody, has been somebody who's gone through so much. And as an oldest child took the abuse for her siblings sometimes to be the buffer, but never unpacked that trauma. And as she is getting ready to go to, you know, to the next side, all of it's coming back. It's been there. It's these memories, these things. And I want people to understand trauma doesn't just leave. We aren't just mentally strong. We do need to address what happens because it will come at us in physical health ways, maybe in development and developmental shortcomings, sometimes in substance abuse or other, other mental health struggles. It can really hit many, many, many years later, and we don't even see it coming for us. And it's, and we don't have to go through this alone. And so that was when I knew, okay, I have the beginning of the book. This is where we begin with me being a trainer. And this is where we end with the things we learned. Mm. It took a therapist coach that I had been seeing who really helped me understand my daughter wasn't being manipulative. She wasn't making this up. This was something that was still inside her that we needed to do a lot more work on. And there was hope and healing, but there wouldn't be a happily ever after that's behind us. Now the goal of doing recovery work is never to put it behind us and not look at it again, but to incorporate it into our lives and be able to reduce some of the dysfunction and maybe make some of the experiences our strength and be able to help others. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Oh man. And I love what you're saying about, you know, when you said, you know, it, it, it always stays there mentally. I was thinking in my head and physically, and then you went on to talk about your, your, um, your sister. And I think that I believe that that most of our physical illnesses, it, it's because of dis-ease. You know, it's because yes. we 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 hold something, we shove it down that far, and it has to express itself. And 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 all of us have got it, you know, all and some of it, some of it we don't even know that we're holding, do you know? But I I honestly think that it comes out and expresses in some way you know through alcoholism or through poor behavior or through illness or through aggression or you know and I I just love that you've said that yeah. because I, I really we have such a bad habit of, of um, letting things stuff down inside us mm-hmm. you know and not get them out I liken it to you remember the um you still have them in America the pennies you know the copper the copper pennies do you right. know we, we gave them up years ago, maybe because of my analogy, but that's not true, but I'm just going to stick with that. Um, 
it's kind of like you know when you you know when you get them together and they get that green I'm going to say phosphorus and I'm not a scientist and I don't even know if that's the right word but it gets that green gammy shit all over them you know and they stick together and then you know another one joins it and they stick together and you can never separate those bloody coins unless you put them in coke and that's the magical formula that rots your guts and rots coins you know but it's it's um I always say to people when you take uh take in something that you don't like you know, that causes you discomfort. It's like one of those pennies landing in your gut. And then you take in another one and then they stick together. And then you take in another one. And, they stick, and before you know it, you've got this rotting, bloody green, coppery clump of shit in your guts. You know, then you can never get that out, you know, because you don't right. even know where to start to get that right. So I always say to people, if something you don't like it, spit that bloody thing out. Spit it out. Get it out. Right. Even if it's writing, if it's telling somebody. I mean, I don't mean just spit it out aggressively, attack other people that have nothing to do with it. I don't mean that. Right. Deal with that bloody thing right. you know, as soon as you can because it will join all the other crappy little things in your body and they'll end up this having this fight against you and you'll never ever ever get on top of i'm saying that like i've dealt with it you know i may have shit from my childhood i had a perfect child i had a wonderful childhood i won't say perfect Uh but it was wonderful i had a kind family i had a great family we were all together do you know my parents are still together my and my sisters i have lost one from cancer but we are best friends do you you know so so when i think about going home when you're talking about before to me that's i found my partner and it was like going home because it just, oh. just a beautiful 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 soul you know but not everyone's that lucky and and I and even that. though I've had a good childhood great childhood there's still got to be you can't control other people outside you know criticizing and saying shitty things and you know all the things right. that we've endured as kids that come from the outside they're all still in me and there's still going to be in other people and we don't know that they're still there until something happens and we think, God, that reminds me of that prick that said something when I was 10. Oh, screw right. that. And then we've got an opportunity to purge it, you know, but we we don't have these opportunities unless something and unless we're prepared, as you said, to spend the time to reflect and feel, sit through the pain and go, God, that feels uncomfortable. What's that about? You know, and right. We were so conditioned to say, ah, forget about that, shove it aside, don't worry about that, Get just do the next thing. We're conditioned to have the TV on and the radio on and this on and that on and the freaking noise that's going on around us, you know, and right. we haven't had the, we don't have the TV on, we haven't had the TV on for 10 years and it's we sit in silence at night and just have a conversation and quiet cup of tea, uh... everything's dead, silent, and it's, you know, I think when you can sit in silence, you know, you've got some chance of feeling, feeling yourself right. and knowing yourself. And anyway, I digress. I love here. that. <laughs> I love that. I, and I, I want to double back for a second too, because you asked like how, when I wrote the book, how did I get to a place where I'd worked through it? Had I worked yeah. through it all of this? I thought I had. And I'd done a ton of therapy. And then when it came time to promote the book, I got sick for quite a bit of the time during promotion. And I still had some things to work out. And, you know, so I think sometimes those things still live there. And, you know, I hope I haven't misspoken about my, my sister because 
I don't believe she ever did get help unpacking some of those memories. She's strong and she did amazing things with her non-traditional careers and she's an amazing human. So it wasn't like her life was for nothing, but it just all that pain, just, I guess that's the point I want to make. It can stay with us. And I think of it as, I don't know if you've ever heard of stone babies where sometimes uh, women have very, very, very rare, but where they don't their, their baby dies inside them and they can carry that baby for decades and the baby calcifies and it's very heavy and it just stays there preserved. And I think of trauma like that, that we can have a stone baby and maybe we're proud of ourselves because we didn't need to go get help or this or that, but it does tend to stick with us. It really, if it's deep trauma and too much of it, it's not going anywhere Mm. and nobody wants a stone baby. No. And it's not weak to ask for help, you know, and even Correct. if you've only got a little handful of people that you really trust, get taught. Correct. Help, you know. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to get yes, hold yes, yes. I can't wait to get hold of that book. And I'm going to bore my bloody eyes out because I, I can't even look at things on Facebook where, you know, someone was reunited with someone. I, bawl, oh, I love reunited <laughs> stories. I always cry. And I will say, I'm so excited about the movie. I truly am. I don't care what they call it. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Uh, I think Lifetime, but it, it's particularly the production company, Cinflex, went out of their way to try and make like they hired it they cast an actress that I think is amazing and then they had two little girls that are sisters cast as my daughters and then they have a man an actor up and coming from Greece who is playing my former husband I mean they have just been amazing so I am excited I really am yeah so we shall see uh, and it's coming out in March. Did I? Say- I believe it's coming out in March. You and I are speaking on. You know, I know the podcast will drop later, but we're speaking at the end of January. But the beginning of February, Lifetime will announce the new type, the new title, and when it will play. And I think it's going to be the first week in March, is what I've heard. But I may be wrong. Wow, I, I I don't we don't get Lifetime or whatever here, but I I hope it ends up being on Netflix or something like that. You know, it some will kind be streamable. Of, yes. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, oh, you'll have to yes, let us know so be. I can let people know because I can't wait to watch it. Have you seen any of it? Any bits of it? I have not. I've read the script a couple of different times, but I think it was really when I saw the actors and you know, a movie that plays on television or in any movie. You have to shave it down. So a book is already a shaved down process. I had a hundred extra pages that were whittled away. And uh, then you get to a movie and you have to make it smaller to keep up with people like you talked about their attention span and the competing stuff for our attention. So it will be shaved down. Characters will be combined sometimes. Sometimes that's for budget and other purposes. But I am, when I saw the actors, I was like, oh my goodness, I am so excited. One of the little girls and my, my daughters were each in touch with the actresses via Instagram, the young ones that played them. Yeah. And that made them feel so excited. You know, my daughters (laughs) are in their thirties. And when they saw that, they were like, oh, this is the best. So we're so excited and honored, just honored. There are of great stories in the world so that they took interest is just amazing and I really love the production company especially from Canada I just they were so kind yeah there's a lot of good stuff coming out of Canada actually but you know so true really raw good stuff but I, I love that they did you know they that they haven't tried to just hijack it and sensationalize it you know just right 
for the Hollywood effect. And I love that. I love that they're giving a voice, you know, that they're bringing this stuff to the surface and they're not trying to, right. you know, not trying to suppress it, but they're also not trying to Hollywood hijack it. No, I just think I can't wait to see it, you know. I think you, me too. Me too, Karen. I'm so excited. Thank oh, you. Oh, you're, you're marvellous. And I know you're also helping indie actors, uh, indie authors too with your um what is it you called uh, persistence you with you so you've got two things you're helping um indie authors put their books out but you've also got your podcast called persistence you with Elizabeth. Yes. so you you're really like do you want to say anything about either of those because you're just in there helping people and I just love it Thank you. Well, I love what you're doing. I just was, when you and I were talking earlier, I'm like, I am Karen. We, are, <laughs> we have the same podcast from a, around the world in a, in a different place. So um, thank you for saying that. I have Persistence You with Lisbeth. And like you and I talked about earlier, you know, it it feels wonderful to create community and to inspire hope. This is a time in the world where we really need it, not just due to the pandemic, but we really need to remember um, that community is just the way to go. And the things we have in common are so much greater than what divides us. Yeah. And so hundred percent. And then uh, persistence, you courses, I've got uh, a course that I teach for indie authors, mostly who want to learn how to market their own books and in the strangest way, what I found the author journey was not so different than rescuing my kidnapped daughters in the way that you have to defy the odds. You have to believe, you know, there's more than a million books, I think a million and a half books being published every year now. And so to get any attention, I just read this last week that less than 1% of published books sell a thousand copies now, and that's traditionally and independently published. Wow. Books, because we're all vying for the same attention. Yep. And so it's hard to get noticed. So I created a course for people who aren't very techie and who know that they're introverted, don't want to spend a ton of money, but want to know how to market their books. Not because they want to be on some obscure bestseller list that I don't know how to get them on, nor do I believe most of us will legitimately get on them. Yeah. But you know, for the life of their books, how to do it and enjoy it. So I've got book marketing on the skinny taught it through uh, persistence. You on teachable. Wow. Good. You, I love that. And, and I, and there's nothing quite as nice as publishing your own book. I've, I've published two, you know, or self-published and it's, it's the achievement that that's right. And you know, you, you, you're usually only writing them for personal achievement or for as a giant um, business card, you know, to, to get into other stuff. So this whole, this whole thing about I'm going to be a best-selling author, I'm going to make millions of dollars. People should probably just should forget that. And I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's like, do it for, do it for a reason other than that. Just, just to, just one to feel great Two to achieve a goal put put your message out in the world you know the the right person will read your book if you change one life just because they read your book then that is successful that's that's incredible Karen a thousand percent yes a thousand percent we needed to redefine how we're getting rich as authors yep and the community that we connect with I it's just the best that's one of the ways of wealth that the ability to connect with another person or to influence a good outcome or something or to entertain. I mean, I, I love, I think Australia, you have the one, who is the author I love so well? 
big little Leon Lyanne Moriarty. How do you say her name, Leanne Moriarty? I don't even read that much fiction. And whenever she- I'm not a, a fiction book, writer. <laughs> well, I'm normally not, but whenever she has a book come out, I am all about it. I get that book so quickly. So, you know, it's amazing what we can do. There are a lot of different ways to define wealth besides just a bestsellers list or money. I would like to, you know, most of us just want to break even at some point. <laughs> I did have a small publisher with my book. It was independently published, but it was a tiny publisher. She writes press. But from here on out, I want to be able to publish my own books. And that is so much fun when I see authors who take their rights back or who enjoy their rights and you know, so many different ways to use uh, that intellectual property is just really exciting. It is. Yeah, I agree. I want always want control over my stuff. I'm not giving it yes. to anybody else. But it's uh, and, and when you said that, I got to say, you said you and I, we've got so much in common. You know, I am not chasing kids to Greece. <laughs> Oh my God, Father! I would I would die of a freaking heart attack if I had to do that. You've got a little more courage than me for doing. But then again, you, I tell you what, you lose your kids, you're driven, aren't you? You're going to do yes, do anything. But it brings out a certain savagery. I will just say, I did and said things that I still cannot believe. You know, I'm like, uh. you know, I did I did a self defense course with um. Oh, they were police, but they had their their own sort of business. And it was this self-defense course for women. And it was when I was younger. And they used to bring in kickboxes and we would, they would attack us in an alley in this in a dark sort of up the side of a hall. And they weren't kind, you know, they would literally pin us down and we would have to fight our way out of that situation. And I, I remember, you know, I bloodied somebody up that bad. They they pulled me off him and said, stop, stop, I think you're going to be fine. But one of the things I remember, and I think I probably damaged one of his kidneys kicking him that hard. But anyway, one of the, um was good for me to feel that I was strong enough, you know, to, to take care of myself. But one of the things they said in it is that um, the most stupid thing a, a man can ever do is break into a home and attack a mother's children because they said if that mother wakes up while you're attacking their children, you have never faced the fury of a mother defending her children. You know, like they said that is there's nothing so fierce as a mother trying to protect her children. So, And I'll never forget, I'll never forget they said that and it's... um. Well, that's so interesting. Yeah. And it makes sense. It totally makes sense. I mean, I remember thinking when I first found out, you asked how I responded. I One thought I had was this is the end of all of it. Once I get my kids back, I will not have this back and forth and back and forth. And he is underestimated. He was so awful for so long. And I had the emotional muscle to handle more than he thought I did. And I even remember thinking back then, like he has underestimated my determination and that's too bad for him. And I think you're right. I think a mother will, I think a mother will do, you know, ideally mothers will do whatever they can. A parent will do whatever they can to protect and to stand up for their children. And it is exciting to watch 
Yeah, it is. It is. I, I'd like to watch a movie on that. Some some mum crack, you know, belting the shit out of the abusive husband. But anyway, well, we'll get to that down track. Hopefully, women will. Hopefully, women will get to that point because I tell you what, there's a few blokes. Uh, this is this is uh, too, completely unorthodox of me saying it, inappropriate. But I, I just would love to <laughs> love to see the return. You know, see the um men get a little bit of karma for what they do. And I'm not saying it's always men that abuse women either because sometimes right, 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 it's right. the other way. But um, abusers, you know, nothing makes me more happy than seeing them cop, cop back what they bloody well dished out. But anyway, and some people might go at me for that, but you know what, I don't care. Don't care. It sounds like you're designing your own reality show. Where do I- <laughs> <laughs> you can watch that. <laughs> Oh, but what an a idea of, a lot of people would be watching that <laughs> uh, there used to be a show in the states called animals attack yeah and so it sounds like what you're designing is mom's attack <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. and i love that i love watching all those clips of animals getting their revenge on humans right them. Jeez, I, i've got this right. real sinister bone in me that's you know like but it's all about karma i'm don't know i don't want to hurt anybody but by geez right. i love seeing karma dished out to assholes gee i love that <laughs> i love it oh look i have loved this conversation i'm going to ask you my get off the bench question you know like there's going to be people that um want to get off the bench and feel like they just don't have it within them you've just just touched on that beautifully now what would you say in response to finding your inner strength I think Karen it's such a great question I think we we may not feel it right away but each one of us has inside us that capacity to get up off the bench and to remind ourselves if not now when you know what am I waiting for and what was I meant to do here? What's the purpose of all of this anyway? And who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? It's time to start taking those little baby steps. And it may be baby steps. If someone's in the throes of depression, they're not going to jump right up and say, boom, I got this. But it may be that little baby step to reach out and grab a hand of someone else who's just a little bit further in the journey you want to be on or you've decided to be on. And reach forward and grab that hand and, you know, get a little mentorship. It does not have to be with your comfortable, close family or support network. It could be a stranger, a safe and good stranger, but a, a stranger. And just have faith that, you know, there is a reason you're here, but it's, we're not going to be here forever for sure. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get with this and see who you can affect when when somebody else is needing to get up off the bench? Who will you turn around and grab their hand? I love that. So looking forward and then looking back, and and I just love that. And and I love what you're saying about who do you want to be, and because I think we get up every day and say, what do I want to do today? In fact, what we should be doing is getting up, saying, who do I want to be today? You know, and. Right. And those tiny steps, I, I, I talk about them all the time. That we we minimize tiny steps so much, but we shouldn't, because tiny steps compound. You know, and we end up with a massive leap before we've even know we even know we've done it. So. Exactly. Oh, well, I have, exactly. Oh, I've loved this conversation. I love you. I just. I love you. <laughs> I have enjoyed it so much. I really, really have. It just. It's been such a joy. It, I love it. It does remind me for your Australian listeners that 
One time I thought I had the language barrier taken care of when I went to visit Australia in 2015. And I was on a bus late at night trying to get across town with all my luggage. And the man said the bus stop was by the bottle And I didn't know what that was. And so I said, pardon me. And he said it again. And I said, pardon me. And he's because he thought I was being cheeky. He was sure that I was just being disrespectful. So he kicked me off the bus with all my luggage. Oh, oh, no. Standing in the dark. <laughs> I should have read up on what the language. Oh, no. I had such a great trip. I can't wait to go back, but I have friends in Australia now and I love it there. So yeah. it's such a joy to visit Australia from my place in Chattanooga and hang out with you. I love new friends. So thank you. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. You come to Australia, you're going to have to come up to Gippsland and spend a few days on the farm and I'll, I'll get you shovel and some shit. And we'll be, we'll be happy as happy as Larry. I would love to shovel shit with your animals. <laughs> I absolutely love animals and my kids do as well. I mean, I think my whole family, we're just like big fans. So I'd love that you have rescues. Right. Well, well, you're well, you're on now. Before we go, um, where can people find you? Because I bet people are going to want to follow <laughs> you and you know and share this journey with you. <laughs> my website is lameredith.com. That's like the my first and middle name initial. So lameredith.com. You can find me at Persistence You Podcast and on social media. And I just can't wait to connect. Thank you. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to put all these in the show notes so people can click all the way on through and um, and, and connect with you. But uh, please come to Australia. I'm going to come and visit you in Chattanooga when I come to America, when we can finally bloody travel. But I, I, I have loved this so much. And, and thank you so much for sharing so, so openly and so generously and so just honestly and raw, you know, about this stuff. And uh, it's so appreciated. And it, what you're doing is so valuable. I'm so, so grateful to have shared this time with you. I really Karen, am. I love what you're doing. I absolutely love the hope that you're sparking and inspiring and that you're writing. You know, I love it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate thank- it. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll catch you very soon. Thank you. All right. I look forward to it. Thank you, dear. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. See ya. Oh, guys, what an amazing woman. That was a long one. I'm going to keep the end short. All I can say is, look, as Lisbeth said, you know, we have got so much strength inside us and we're capable of doing so much more than we think we can do. And, you know, God forbid, hopefully nobody has to fly to Greece to rescue kidnapped daughters. But, you know, we've all got things that we want to do and probably should do because we're born to be unique. We're born to do magnificent things and truly be asked and invest in, you know, what we're here to do. So please go do it. You've got the strength inside you. I really hope you love that. All the links to um, Lisbeth are going to be in the show notes. So please connect with her, get the book, look out for the movie. And, oh, my God, I really hope you love that. And please take care of yourself and please take care of others. And thanks for joining me every week. And that's it. I'm going to cut it short. See you next week. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com. Tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. 
Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.